Welcome to season two of Aspiring Latinx, a podcast dedicated to highlighting and uplifting the Latinx community. We are your hosts, Emily and Jocelyn. Today, we're talking with Angela Townsend, a native of Chicago and a youth program manager for a nonprofit called Juno for Me. Angela manages social media, creates programming, and plans events to increase brand awareness. Along with that, she also founded Sexpectations, a sexual health workshop for teens and young adults to discuss relationships, sexual health, and consent. Angela loves being on camera and speaking to the masses, moderating conversations, creating programming around women empowerment, sexual health, identity, and planning events. Welcome, Angela, and can you please provide us with a little background about yourself, your platform, Sexpectations, and what it is? Yeah, so my name is Angela Townsend. I was born and raised in Chicago. I am um, Black and Puerto Rican, grew up in Humble Park, Logan Square neighborhoods in Chicago. Danced salsa for almost my whole life, for about 20 years at this point. Um, I'm also very passionate about... um, discussing like identity um, in terms of like race and ethnicity. And then additionally, I'm also very passionate about like sexual health and um, empowering young people and working with young people. So Sexpectations um, is a workshop that I founded in 2018 in DC actually, while I was working out there with some teen parents. And essentially, it is a workshop to um, encourage young people to have real conversations about dating, relationships, and sex. Um, It's not a sexual health curriculum, although that is something that we are leaning towards doing in the future. Um, This workshop is really to just uh, encourage young people and, like, really get them to have these conversations that are often very taboo or uncomfortable, but they're so necessary to feel safe, to practice safer sex, to have healthier relationships. Um, And in 2019, I brought it back, I brought it to Chicago when I moved back here. Um, And we've been out here ever since. I got my bachelor's um, at the University of Maryland College Park. And what did you um, study in school that kind of led you down to creating Sexpectations and being such an advocate for um, yeah. so sexual health? I studied criminology and criminal justice. Um, I decided like my junior year that that was not the career uh, like I wanted. I didn't really want to do anything to do with the criminal justice system. Um, I appreciated what I learned, but I also very much realized how trash it is. And it is like meant for people to just fail and get stuck up in it. Um, But through Mm -hmm. like taking those classes and stuff, I learned a lot more about like social justice in like an academic way. Um, But even prior to that, I think um, my... What led me to creating Sexpectations probably started when I was here in Chicago. Um, my mother had an organization called Youth Empowering Strategies that um, focused on educating and empowering young people on the West Side, um, specifically Humble Park, West Town, and the Austin neighborhoods. Um, and in that program, 
pregnancy prevention was what it was called at the time was like one of the main pillars that uh that would be taught to the young people um and i really just enjoyed learning about that stuff i enjoyed like how people began to talk about it and just the empowerment that was happening in those spaces um and yeah i guess as i've gotten older that was just something that i continued to read about i took some like gender studies or women's studies classes when i was in college as electives i took classes on sexuality and then my first job was working with teen parents and facilitating workshops um for these young parents to like you know continue being the best parent that they can be to their children but also continuing to practice uh what should be healthy for them in their like regular lives as well as like being sexually healthy people. No, that's great. And doing all of this um in your studies, why is sex education so important and at what age do you think individuals should be um taught about sexual education when it yeah. when it comes to like being safe and just like the basic understanding yeah, the that foundations. That is a great question. I think that's like the million dollar question when it comes to a lot of parents and just uh adults concerned about sexual health education in schools um i think the focus is kind of the focus is kind of everywhere for different people when people hear sexual health education they think that we're teaching young people like are encouraging young people to have sex when if done correctly um i believe sexual health education comprehensive sexual health education should start super super young and at that point it's not about sex it's about just knowing your body knowing your anatomy and the names of those parts starting to talk about consent but not related to um like a sexual activity just consent based off of hey person i don't want you touching me or i don't feel comfortable like in this situation right now and really um i'm saying empowering a lot because that's like a really like it's a word with a lot of weight but really empowering mm-hmm. and um building confidence at a very young age for kids to know that they have agency over their bodies. Um I think if that were to happen and be really like well like tuned and um really enforced, there would be a lot less um miscommunication when it comes to dating, relationships, sexual activity, um consent would be a lot more mm-hmm. clear. Um people would just be very confident in saying no when they don't want something um as well as being more confident in saying when they do want something because there's also that mm-hmm. other end of it where it's like okay maybe someone isn't like someone doesn't not want to engage in sex or kiss or something but they have certain things that they actually want um that would feel better for them versus focusing on the other person so Um I mean in the school context people say kindergarten cuz that's kind of like the entryway into um the school system but I think parents also have a responsibility of in those earlier years as soon as like children know how to speak to be able to like help them name the parts so um you know 
child sexual abuse is a very relevant thing, especially in Latino families. Um, and that would be one way to, I think, help kind of decrease, decrease that. No, I love that you mentioned uh-huh. setting boundaries, because I think, as you mentioned, as Latino family, in Latino families, we're so affectionate. It's when you go to someone's house or you see your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, yeah. it's the norm to hug, to kiss them. And I feel yeah. that that's the easiest gateway to yeah. inappropriate things down the road, you know? Um, and then you also mentioned kindergarten as being the um, ideal age in school to start talking about sex. Um, and I know there's a lot of controversy around having kids name yeah. their actual body parts by the appropriate name instead of cold names. Um, what are your thoughts on there that? There shouldn't be a controversy, first of all. I mean, that's, I think it's it's crazy how even like our body parts that have multiple functions for many reasons um, mm-hmm. become very sexualized at a super young age. Like children are not, or should not be um, engaging in anything sexual. And that's not even where their mind is, right? Oftentimes, mm-hmm. if, they, if it, they are, it usually is someone else doing that onto them, not an active choice that they're making. Um, but if we are okay with naming, like, our hands are our hands, our feet are our feet, a vagina is a vagina, and a penis is a penis. And that's, like, it has more functions other than... Mm-hmm. Um, reproductive or pleasure um, functions. And so I don't think, I think the fact that there's a controversy is ridiculous. Um, And if people, I think it's hard for some people to conceptualize how important it is for, again, framing things in terms of like, Um, child sexual abuse or just inappropriate touching and molestation is that if children can like name exactly what is being like touched or being done to them, there would be a lot of um, clarity in what happened to them when they do decide to share something. If someone cannot name what they're experiencing, sometimes it's just a lot more complicated. Um, I think even today, I'm not great at analogies, but there's a lot of like new words like gaslighting or we'll just use gaslighting. For example, a lot of people have been gaslit and experienced that, but until there was a phrase that like was spread out through social media, we didn't call it that we were just feeling gaslit. Like that was just the feeling that a lot of us experienced. So I think definitely putting a name to body parts and an appropriate name and not a name like, a cute nickname or something funny because that could be interpreted so differently from different people um, would, yeah, provide some clarity when it came to cases like that, as well as making it less taboo in the future. And a similar topic, but different, and also one that we don't talk about is what healthy is and what an unhealthy relationship is. And I mean, growing up, like in our sex ed education, even at home, like, we are never told what those are. Um, and I don't think anyone was. I think it's more of a recent new thing that it's starting to be incorporated. I'm glad that it is. A lot of people expect us to know what those are and look like. But 
we only take what we see yeah. um, and what we grew up with, and we don't know any different than that. So, like, how important is it to talk about what's healthy and unhealthy? How do you incorporate it into your work, and how can that affect a person's life? Yeah, that is a great question, and one that I, um, one that I, I think I'm still learning to like articulate. I think I have a lot of ideas in my head, but articulating them sometimes comes out a little bit different. Um, but to start off, to your point about like we see a lot of things as kids, and we often are um, modeling after the people who are around us or the types of relationships we see. Because again, we're usually not talking about these things. We're not talking about dating. Um, for a lot of women, we're being told like, or discouraged to even date or have sex mm -hmm. until suddenly you have like an interest in someone or you have a new partner and then maybe you're comfortable asking questions, but oftentimes people aren't. And today you could just go on the internet and like Google something. Um, so I don't, I don't want to say, I, I think it's different for everyone, but the relationship you see your parents or your guardians or whoever you're raised with, is usually the one that you will probably um, model after, mm -hmm. not even consciously. Um, you're just witnessing these things, whether they're positive or negative or problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if it's like a long-term relationship or if these people seem to be together for a long period of time, some of those negative or problematic behaviors become normalized to you. Um, and you just think when you enter a relationship, if that's something that you find yourself in, like, oh, this is normal because this person like also went through this or this other person, like I've, I've seen this, I've already seen this before. So it's not like, it's not abnormal. Um, mm -hmm. but even though something is normal, doesn't mean that it's right. And so, um, I, the reason I'm being like super vague about the, like, what I'm saying is because like every, a lot of relationships look different and there are definitely like red flags or like um, just like things that are like completely not okay. But I think it also like differs for a lot of people and there are a lot mm -hmm. of different types of relationships. Um, usually we talk about relationships in the sense of like people who are, dating each other and like intimate with each other in a specific way. Um, but we don't really talk about like, do you have a healthy relationship with your friends? Do you mm -hmm. have a healthy relationship with your family or parents? And like, how are those red flags also showing up in all those different types of relationships? Um, which also might be a complete, a whole other like conversation, but I think all of those relationships and what you see and what you experience ultimately affect that intimate relationship because you're bringing in two or more people depending on the relationship you're in. And those two people have all these different experiences and things that they've witnessed. And now they're coming together to try to like make each other happy. If that, um, and I don't know if people will like me saying this, but I do feel like it's, it's very much like trial and error 
Um, even I'm like kind of cringy when I say that. But <laughs> what I mean by that is like, you don't, until you're in a relationship with somebody <laughs> um, and you get to know them and you experience things, I feel like then and there, or possibly when you're looking back is when you're able to actually define whether that relationship was healthy or not. Um, a lot of times when you're in that relationship, there's something else that may be blinding you um, mm -hmm. or you're just like not focusing on that thing um, because something else feels better. But afterwards, when you can reflect or look back on it is mm -hmm. when you can realize um, if something was like, wrong or just not great um healthy and unhealthy i feel like are very black and white um where sometimes in relationships there's just like there's an issue and you should call out that issue but like there is possibly a chance to grow right um mm -hmm. does that mean the whole relationship is unhealthy i cannot say maybe it will grow into a healthier space um yeah, I just think there's a lot of gray area between unhealthy and healthy, which can make it, it's it's a lot more nuanced than what is like shared in, I think like, um, you know, curriculums and sexual health classes. But I think that is a good um, like base to start off mm -hmm. just for people to start realizing um, these things, maybe some things you should be cautious of or that you need to check yourself on as well. Yeah. And I think when you just said like the whole trial and error, like it sounds bad, but I completely agree in a way. Um, I was talking with a group of friends of mine and we were talking about how like when you're on the outside and you're seeing your friend's relationships or someone else's, you're able to call off and be like, oh, that's not good or that's not healthy mm -hmm. or that's not a good thing. But when you are in one, you don't realize the bad things that go in it or that someone man even manipulated you or any of that until way later. Yeah. And you're in a different relationship and you're pro you're in something that's more healthy than what you used to be in. And then when you go back and you're thinking about it, like, yeah, your friends can tell you, like, that's not good. But you don't see it. You're like, what? No, like, that's just the way yeah. we are. Or, like, that's the way he is or she is. Like, that's fine. Um, but then once you're out of it, you're like, oh, wait, no, I definitely see where things went wrong. And I can definitely see how I was being manipulated the entire time yeah. throughout this relationship. I was going to add, like, were you the toxic person or did you have yeah. toxic traits? Like no one. I think maybe people are a little bit more starting to um, check in with themselves in relationships mm -hmm. and like taking accountability. But a lot of times um, healthy relationships and unhealthy mm -hmm. relationships are framed in a way that it's like, what is your partner doing? Not what yeah. are you doing to your partner? No, that's so, that's so true too. Um, and I think it's really good. Like you said also to like check in and sometimes it's easier to call out our partners, Yeah, but a lot of times also you're, you're participating in it in some way mm -hmm. or reacting to it in some way and the ways that you react to it or um come back on it like can also be just as bad and just as toxic yeah but we're not comfortable with pointing the finger at ourselves no. and doing that work 
Yes, I agree with all that you just said. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's easier, like you said, to point the finger. Um, and a lot of times when you are called out, it's, it's also taking you to a different place. Like maybe that's mm -hmm. a behavior that you do recognize. You didn't recognize you were doing but you recognize mm -hmm. it because someone, your mother or your father used to do it. And now someone yeah. is telling you that you're doing the exact same thing. And like, that's a lot to unpack and figure out. Oh, it is for sure. That's just more baggage you have to undo. Yep. I think like also on the topic of relationships and how that like, how the relationships we viewed as children and now as adults kind of manifest also touching on like intimate partner violence i feel like that's such a wide umbrella in itself that can range from emotional abuse to physical abuse mm -hmm. and then when you tie that in with with sex something that's so intimate i feel like that also plays on that manipulation and that gaslighting element as we're becoming more self-aware as therapy is becoming more of a normal thing i think we can we're able to do those self-checks and and assess like okay what feels good to me um what feels good for my partner is this healthy yeah. is this not healthy um yeah. so i think that little by little we're slowly heading into yeah. the right direction it makes me think of how um you know people get married and a lot of well, not, I don't know if a lot, but when we look at um, older generations, we measure how healthy or loving their relationship is by how long they've been together. Um, and mm -hmm. unless you have a great relationship with those people who are married, I think oftentimes we like... Yeah, we see those those years like, oh, my gosh, you guys have been married forever. Like, that's amazing. And we don't look at like what shit, what all the trials and tribulations that they've had to put up with during that time. And just because people have stuck together doesn't mean it was healthy, doesn't mean they really wanted to. Um, and mm -hmm. I think even more recently, it's like there was. I think a lot of shaming around people getting a divorce or breaking up and breaking that like that uh, pledge that they yeah that they made with each other and yeah breaking up mm -hmm. the family, um, but sometimes that's like very necessary and it's I think it's it's very much like just very like I think generations kind of shifting and culture shifting um, in terms of how people are calling out people, calling in people, taking accountability, recognizing what is for them and what's not for them, and um, really just boundaries. I think boundaries is, is really important for a lot of people now and making those clear. And I think that this shift is also, for women, it's allowing us to be more selective when we pick our partners or when we're in relationships and at least for me, like I can, I can only speak for myself and like how I was raised. I feel like I've seen a, a lot of negative things in terms of like in my home, um, my parents' relationship. And I, and I feel like I didn't realize how much that affected me when uh -huh. I started to have boyfriends and relationships with people until I was like, I'm literally repeating patterns that yeah. I, I didn't even think twice about. And then I think that also just goes into even just the sex in general. I feel like 
it's so embedded in us as, as women to it has to be with a partner and I feel like even intimacy like figuring out your own body first before you jump into yeah in, into, into bed with someone else you know so I think that now that we're in an era of creating agency over ourselves and our bodies what advice do you have for women of all ages who are beginning to experiment with their own bodies since there is such a negative stigma around self i am the biggest advocate for self-pleasure i say (laughs) do it do it do it till you can't anymore which i don't think is even possible um yeah i think (laughs) It's so interesting how, um, and I grew up in a Catholic church and then kind of switched to like a Christian, uh, Protestant-ish church, um, like in high school. And I remember hearing that like masturbation was a sin. And of course it's sexual and that word masturbation, even some people are like, ah, like that's like cringy. Um, But it's like self-pleasure. Self-pleasure actually does sound a lot better, even I think. Um, And I remember just thinking (laughs) in like whatever sermon or service, I think it was like in a youth group that it came up in. I was just like, why is that? Like, why is that a sin? Like, no one's hurting anybody or like you're not even doing anything to anybody else. Like, it's like very personal and for yourself. Um, And I think that's where, like, the shaming not begins, but is definitely embedded for a lot of people. Um, And even if it's not within the church, like, it's it's just another, it's a taboo thing because it's related to sex and sex, like, sexuality um, Mm -hmm. just in this country is super taboo. And... The thing, too, is that self-pleasure doesn't have to be anybody else's business. It is completely Mm -hmm. about you. And um, I think it may... A person has to be comfortable to do that first off, right? So I think back to anatomy and naming the things. um, Knowing your body parts um, for a person who has a vagina, looking at that and becoming familiar with it, Um, and when I say that, that means like, you know, getting a handheld mirror and looking at how many holes are down there or just what like your actual, what that looks like and being aware of that because, you know, that people with vaginas like us here, like they are an internal thing, right? Like guys or people with penises, that is an external thing that they see all the time they are very familiar with because that is how it was created. It was just like, I have a foot. My foot looks like that because I can see it all the time. Whereas a vagina, you can't, it's not, it's not the same thing. And so I think one is um, allowing that, that exploration of what that is, what it looks like. How is it different? How is it similar to other things you may have heard or seen? Um, And I think ultimately everyone kind of knows what is, what feels good for them, but they're, they may be afraid to take that next step um, just because of the messaging around self-pleasure. But yes, I am a huge advocate. I, a lot of, I mean, I have some girlfriends who have like dated multiple people and I would just be like, 
have like do you guys like like have you ever used a vibrator before and they're like no like my partner would get so mad or something like that and i'm like what like that <laughs> what what like why are people so some people are so wrapped up in the fact of like a person doing something soup like having nothing to do with anybody else um and i think that goes into like toxic masculinity but and like just very insecure things happening there but every person whether with a toy or with their hands or whatever should be able to explore that um safely comfortably um and i think most of the times when they do they realize like whoa like this is what my body can do and it feels good mm-hmm. and and that would move forward into a sexual relationship with someone else they will be able to you know share and name what they do like and hopefully um can experience that with someone else if they choose to yeah i think when starting from like a young age i remember like i was always very curious and i was just like oh what is this mm-hmm. but then when it came to like you said it's a very personal thing like i didn't feel the need to talk about it or tell anyone about it like i was learning about it like by myself like my own body right yeah but when it came to like i feel like boys are way more open and it seemed like a oh good job type of thing so like i grew up with having only guy friends around and they'll be like oh yo like i've been masturbating like what about you and then the other one would be like <laughs> yeah like like shit's great or something yeah but like i wouldn't be asked if i did it mm-hmm. and i would just be like okay but like me and they'll and they'll get so weirded out and they'll be like, ew, that's gross. Like like Josie, like don't do that. And I'm just like, what? Like I'm doing the same shit you're doing, just like with my body. It like blew their minds the fact that I was even doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, for a moment, like it shied me away from like saying what I was doing or the things that I was discovering. So it became just like my own little secret, you know? Yeah. But the but I feel like also doing that at a young age and learning my body for me when it came to sex i feel like it helped me because sex wasn't about like oh i have to lose my virginity or like oh this and that it was like i need to make sure i'm going to get pleasure because a young boy who's just not there they're not they're not going to know what to do with you and you're not going to know what to ask for if you don't know your own body like you're not going to know what feels good yeah and so i think also being in tune with yourself and your body and knowing it, knowing what feels good, what does not can really help when, when you are ready to take the next step to be intimate with someone and be able to share that and be vocal about it. Um, Cause that's another thing too. We've been kind of like shied away from being vocal yes. about the feeling and what we want. And I think that's something that we need to be more secure about and, um, powerful with because that can really change the whole dynamic can i also add that like female pleasure was not even researched until like i might be wrong and my numbers are really bad but i want to say like about (laughs) 20 to 30 years ago um Mm -hmm. and to find out the exact date there is an episode on um vox does the explained like little mini series on netflix Mm -hmm. and there's one on um it's either female pleasure or female orgasm and one of the 
don't know if it's a psychologist or doctor that is interviewed shares that like this wasn't even researched like there was not because of all the social structures and ideas that like women are only made to reproduce and have babies there wasn't even an interest in finding out if women receive pleasure um or people with mm-hmm. with a vagina um receive pleasure when they have sex and that is ridiculous because that just goes to show like how um male focused a lot of things are in this world but especially sex that involves everybody anybody can do mm-hmm. it and everyone can receive pleasure from it that's just so mind boggling to me so it's like hell yeah let's continue to explore this and if you feel comfortable talking about it i think that also like builds a lot of confidence cuz there isn't shame and there shouldn't be shame but mm-hmm. also if you like want to keep it a secret like that's fine too but you shouldn't feel i don't think anyone should feel ashamed of exploring that that part of them yeah i've met people up to this date freaking sadly that do not know that women orgasm crazy <laughs> it blows my freaking mind and i feel so sorry for oh. their partners and that's when i'm like it's so imp- and and i like emphasize it again like it's so important for you to know your body because if you don't you go in and like your partner they can have no freaking clue and don't know what your body can do or what it takes for your body to receive pleasure from it yeah. and go into this action going very one-sided when it's something that both individuals are part of. Um, so, yeah. And I think just with um, that in terms of like being open about your sex lifestyle with your partner in terms of like including toys or vibrators or whatever the case may be, within that topic being open about being tested regularly and having an open conversation um even if it's a new partner if you're someone who mm-hmm. like sleeps around actively like i think having that conversation of hey like we're going to do this but i want to make sure that we're both safe that we're you know we're both on the same page and for both parties like let's say if i were coming to someone and saying like hey i would like for us to both get tested before we move forward I feel like that's important as a person to be empowered to say that without feeling weird and then the person who I'm saying that to for them to receive it as like you know what you're right like yeah. let's do this and I think that conversation isn't as normalized as it's it should not. be. It's not. Um that is a very like another component, a strong component in the sex expectations workshop is um talking about the fact that it's important to get tested regularly um but also like if you have a partner or multiple partners it's important to like be confident enough to have that conversation and unfortunately from what i've heard in different from different young people in the workshops and other types of workshops especially for women um there's like this fear of if i say hey let's get tested the other person it is going to assume that i think they're dirty And even that word dirty is problematic because mm-hmm. you know STI infections um they're very like it happens it just happens sometimes just like how the like colds and sneezing and stuff covid like right now like it's a virus which is a little different but like things are easily passed just by breathing the same air or touching a doorknob or something when you are having sex you are literally like 
bodies are touching very intimately. So Mm -hmm. it's not like a surprise that something can be transmitted that way. But in order to just like continue to be healthy is to get checked and make sure that you're communicating beforehand, you know, being aware of like if someone has gotten tested is something that also needs to be normalized. Like before having sex, like, Hey, have you had any partners recently? Um, do you want to get, we could get tested together or can we share? Like there's a lot of different ways or a lot of different questions that can be asked to check in on that. But a lot of people are uncomfortable with that because of, um, because it's, it's, it is a weird conversation or maybe not weird. It's just not a, it's not a conversation that like is heard of. It's not something we see in movies when people hook up. Um, it's, it doesn't look, it doesn't look or sound sexy, but it's important and essential. Um, and it's important to uh, do your best in being honest um, with other people. If you have had um, an STI before or like just having, yeah, those candid conversations, although very challenging. And like, I do understand the reasons why people um don't want to because sometimes with that comes shame or judgment or just completely like oh you're you're dirty that word dirty comes up again but um Mm -hmm. i think through um sexual health education classes and more um sti clinics or like free testing things being around um that that will be normalized to a point where people are just like doing it just like they would go to a doctor to see anything else, but like a proactive, um, a proactive action versus like, Oh, I feel something. I need to go to the doctor to handle this now. That's great advice. And I think that for me, like just to be completely honest, like I'm still kind of coming to terms with like talking about my sexuality and mm-hmm. in general with like friends and with partners. And so I'm, with doing this conversation, I was telling Jocelyn, I was like, I'm a little nervous about it because <laughs> I'm really cagey when it comes to to this topic. And like, I'm at the I'm I'm at a point yeah. where I'm trying to unpack why that is. This was like such a great first step for me, at least. And um, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. And I hope that whoever listens to this feels empowered to like open up the door to talk about this with their parents or with their friends. Yeah, or- it is definitely a journey. Um- And not everyone is comfortable just having these conversations publicly, which is okay. I think like definitely having more conversations is a way of normalizing these conversations. But I think it's it's very important to, if you are being intimate with someone, it is essential that these conversations are at least had between the people, you know, whoever's involved. Um, Because that is your health. That is your health that is, that can be at risk. That is your pleasure that can be at risk. Um, At least being comfortable or finding comfort and growing that comfort with a partner or partners is very, very important. And if that's not where someone is at, there are so many. uh, I mean, there's a lot that you could find on the Internet, but there's a lot of like great credible sources that you can find information about, you know, different terms, different things that relate to sexual health or just sex in general, where you could learn versus like, if you're not comfortable asking someone, um, there's great resources out there to, to help and support that still. 
I like the fact that you mentioned that. Um, and I do think normalizing normalizing the fact of like reaching mm-hmm. out when you don't understand something or there's so many great resources out there. So I appreciate that. Um, just for expectations, do you guys have a specific age group? Like our expertise, kind of, as well as just like helping people frame who we can talk to. But even like those numbers switch up a lot of times. So I think like on our website, if someone were to go on the website, it may say like 16 to 24, which um, is the age group of like youth and young adults. So we usually think it to ourselves like high school to college age. Um, And I mean, 24 is not college age technically, but around that like young adult, emerging adult youth um, age range. But we've done workshops with people who were in their 30s that came through um, and people as young as 13, 14, who also had a lot of questions. Um, We've done workshops. We've gone into some like eighth grade classes and they had just as many questions too. So I think what's, yeah. <laughs> although we do have to specify an age range so we can like really just hone into like our expertise, that doesn't mean that there aren't younger people or older people that um, mm-hmm. don't have questions about sex and sexuality and dating and relationships. Um, so I think it's, it's, although we might not, expectations might not directly serve those people, we are always open to um, people asking like, or like if there's a specific need. So for example, um, I've had like a teacher or like a counselor reach out to get more information about sex expectations. And their main concern was they work with like sixth graders, six, yeah, like sixth and seventh graders. And there have been some talks and instances related to sex that they think needs to be like addressed. And I'm like, yeah, like we can't completely dismiss um, because in our heads, we don't think sixth graders, however old that is, should be or shouldn't be having sex. Like once once those ideas start coming in a he- in their heads and questions begin to be like shared, I think that's when the like you can't people shouldn't avoid those things. So um, mm-hmm. we do our best with either showing up or connecting them with other people in Chicago who are um, doing great sexual health work to make sure that those all those young people are getting their answers questioned. Um, I'm sorry, getting those questions answered. No, I, I appreciate that. For younger kids who do have questions, I think parents kind of get scared. A lot of the times it's just questions. I don't think they're, yeah. for the most part, wanting to um, engage. I think it's just more so the curiosity. And I feel like once you open up that dialogue and yeah. have like a straightforward conversation, I feel like that's pretty much the end of it. You know what I mean? Like they're probably going through puberty and their bodies are changing. And that is just like a developmental thing that happens to everyone. And so again, like dismissing those people because they're younger or because people like society thinks they should or shouldn't be um, talking about sex or having sex or engaging or like having feelings towards other people is just like, is dismissive and not fair to what they are actually feeling and curious about. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I really Perfect. appreciate thank you this so conversation, much. and I hope um, it inspires people to have more conversations about dating, relationships, and sex.
Bye, y'all. Bye. To stay up to date with the episode, please follow us on Instagram at AspiringLatinx or visit our website, AspiringLatinx.com. And of course, make sure to subscribe to your preferred platform. Thank you.